0: You're listening to a Tip of the Cap podcast brought to you by Stinger Sports. Stinger Sports makes high-quality gear for the player who expects more for their money. Visit them today at www.stingerwoodbats.com and use promo code TIP OF THE CAP, all one word, for 10% off your next order. Stinger Sports, look great, feel great, play great. The Tip of the Cap podcast is brought to you by Stinger Sports. Stinger Sports makes high-quality gear for the player who expects more for their money. Visit them today at www.stingerwoodbats.com and use promo code TIP OF THE CAP, all one word, for 10% off your next order. Stinger Sports, look great, feel great, play great. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of TIP OF THE CAP podcast. I am Coach Jaws, your host. As always, I am joined today by Ben Chatley, who is an umpire for the United Collegiate Umpires Group Association, Uh, not sure, conglomerate maybe uh ben what's going on man
1: doing well how about yourself jess
0: oh you know living the dream having fun and uh glad we finally figured this out we've been talking about it for what feels like four months now
1: yeah i mean that's kind of what you run into with uh college seasons in full swing and games moving left right and center but i'm glad that we got some time to sit down and chat baseball
0: yeah so we are here we're going to talk uh talk the game talk umpiring talk uh know ways to stay involved in the game. I've had other umpires on in the past and I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit at the end near the end of the episode. But first and foremost, uh what I like to do is let you introduce yourself, tell people who you are, where you're from, and how you got here.
1: Yeah. So uh I grew up in western New York, uh lived out in Niagara County, went to Star Point High School. Um everybody loves playing ball as a little kid. I mean so that was a thing that I was doing every summer from four or five onward. Um, But slowly over time, I realized, you know, I still got a good arm, still got a decent mitt, but the bat's not going anywhere. And there's nothing more embarrassing than being DH'd for as a position player um, where you're doing (laughs) everything else except for putting the bat on the ball. Um, So around 15, 16, I was like, you know what, maybe it's time for me to step away from the game, focus on other sports, other extracurriculars. Um, And I kind of got re-involved with it, actually working for our town highway department. Um, doing field maintenance, which was my first kind of reconnection back into baseball. So a lot of good art into there, got a lot of uh, good learning curves from uh, Neil Turvey, who runs Pitch and Hit out of Niagara County, and is involved with everything baseball up north. Um, Slowly, that kind of transitioned into going to school and figuring out, okay, what do I want to do? Stayed a little bit more involved with some uh, stat crew type things down at SUNY Fredonia, And uh, it was there in 2015-16 that I started off uh, umpiring high school and rec league baseball. Seven years later, I've got seven years of high school ball under my belt. This is my second year. I've just finished up with uh, my collegiate season, probably right around the time this posts. uh, I will have finished 400 games for the career. Wow. And it's interesting when you think about it because I don't really count 2020, even though I have to. So I keep a pretty uh, pretty regimented list of what I work, when I work, who won, what I got paid, what my mileage was, keep track of all the big stuff. Right. And I think that year, I only had 15 games. Um, last year, at this point, I was right around 300. So 100 games in a calendar year, 100 games from March to October is is moving. But I mean, it's exactly what you want to be. If you want to be involved with the game, you're going to find the time. And fortunately enough, I've got a wonderful wife that lets me uh, have the nights and weekends (laughs) free to go and do something I love and bring in a little bit of extra on the side. But yeah, I love just being able to stay involved with the game and making sure that everything I'm doing is not only going to help me keep that connection, but it's also a little bit of a teaching platform Uh, i teach during the day i teach high school social studies and if i can go onto a field in the afternoon whether it's a high school game rec ball college they don't want to hear it as much but teach and say hey you didn't get this because of this or hey you could have done this a little better if you would have done x y and z it's another way for a player that yes of course they're going to hear from their coach but hearing it from an official standpoint like hey you missed it because of this okay, well, now I know next time I go up, I might be able to play this a little differently, sell the call a little bit more, be able to understand how my position, especially as catchers, you work with those the most as a play dump. I understand how my positioning or how my framing might be able to sell things more in one spot versus in another. Setting up properly on breaking pitches versus trying to reach across the zone to really catch something big.
0: Right. Now, uh, you said you started doing like, stats and stuff like that and you said that was at Fredonia right
1: yeah so uh at SUNY Fredonia looking for a part-time job and the biggest thing that I was able to do was hop onto our stat group um so a lot of schools have it and they're always looking your sports information department is always looking for somebody that knows how to work a computer and even better when you know the sport that you're doing um, so it was easy for me to go and sit down and do live scoring for volleyball, do live scoring for basketball. And even, um, when I started, it was right around the time of umpiring. So I didn't really get so much with the baseball, but you would see certain kids that played in high school that understood terms like war terms, like whip and OBR and like all the, all the things that you really want to express and be able to go and tell the team or tell your sports information department hey I'm good with numbers let me put all this stuff together and let me actually give you some information that the coach is going to want and you're going to want to publicize
0: yeah I mean and it's interesting you bring that up because like I you know looking at what um you know in my new my new coaching venture you know looking at stats from last year to this year it's you know it's tough they only played I think 17 games last year we had 25 this year and you know, you look at certain stats, like, you look, you know, Oh, more hits. Well, you know, yeah, more games, no kidding. You know, batting average Well, the batting average was low, like low compared to last year. And then you like, you break that down to a per game standpoint and you look like, Oh, okay. That's a little different. And I, I love the story that stats can tell. Uh, I've been a big stat guy, my entire coaching career, uh, from the time I was 19 years old, started doing this as a coach on the, uh, you know, for a local travel league. And, you know, I mean, Jesus, I'm 15 years of coaching now. At this point, I feel old. I've, that's been a theme of my day, actually. But uh, you know, just the things that you can see from stats and stuff like that. And then, you know, there's always the the fun other side of stats where you're like, well, they don't tell the whole story all the time,
1: right? And I mean, when even you like, we, it got really pop, publicized the stats portion when Moneyball came out. Oh a yeah, a few years back when they were talking all about the A's and how they're going to do things the right way. And I mean, you have your general stats that everybody really knows. But then you get into the really fun ones that it's like, if you really understand baseball, you can put that together. Stuff like on-base plus your slugging. Or one of my personal favorites is your defensive efficiency ratio. So it's the number one minus your hits, plus how many reached on errors, minus home runs, divided by your plate appearances, minus your walks minus your strikeouts minus hits by pitches and then minus your home runs again and it's like you've got to understand every aspect of the game besides be on the money with what you're counting as an error what you're counting as a hit as a walk to put something together like that and tell your coach tell your stat crew hey we're doing this defensively what can we do to allow less to make sure that everything is really hitting the spot that we need to do to be competitive defensive everybody wants the bats, but if you can't stop the other team's bats then it's kind of the wash
0: now is uh correct me if I'm wrong defensive efficiency is one of the newer quote-unquote newer stats that uh Derek Jeter would have been a bottom five shortstop under
1: yeah, it's a it's a one of the things that they're calling now advanced statistics. I mean, right. when you get into the small topics, when you talk about the things that everybody sees on if you go onto a major league website or a minor league website and you look at player statistics, everybody sees well, wins above replacement. You see defensive wins above replacement. You see walks plus hits per inning. You see your whip. You go through and you see those and you're like, yeah, I understand. I get those. And then you look at like the more advanced pieces and the stuff that like Wow I really didn't realize that we could factor in we could create this whole big thing. Um, and I think that's one of one of the more interesting things when you look at and I did a little bit of back research now, numbers are not my strong suit. That's why I teach social studies. I try to stay away from. <laughs> but it's like you look at the industry of specifically sports information and statistics in baseball they're saying that in the next 10 years that field's going to grow by 34%. Even bigger than that, uh average annual pay for a beta or baseball data analyst in 2022, 68 grand. Wow. And it's like trust me, that like it averages out to 33 bucks an hour or something if you want to think hourly versus annually. But you've got people on either side of the spectrum that are making the low number and people are there making the astronomical number, but just for a basic degree in statistics and an understanding of the game and how you're going to plug all those numbers in, that's a great living. If you can make that happen, that's absolutely fantastic.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's something and stuff like that's fascinating. I mean, um, obviously through the high school ranks, we didn't have, I mean, Sports information falls on coaches or, you know, players, bench guys, stuff like that. You know, I, I did a lot, you know, most of the, you know, statistical keeping the last 11 years when I was a Lancaster, um, stuff like that. And then it's it's interesting that, I mean, now, middle of the game, you can pull up your phone and be like, oh, what did this kid, like this new pitcher they're bringing what are his stats, like, and just pull his stats up, you know, in real time.
1: And it's great to see like the translation between the two, because you do have some teams and some coaches that want that old school, old old school mentality. Um, I was looking on Twitter before we started Uh, my high school uh, that I work at there, one of their senior pitchers threw a five inning perfect game today on 45 pitches. It was a fantastic outing, but I'm looking at their book and their, which pitch numbers in the at bat were in what parts of the zone, where was the ball? Like, and I mean, there's keeping a book, but there's also that other aspect of, okay, most of his strikes were coming on pitches two, three, and four, or two, three, and five, right? Like that's a big stat to know. And especially if you're going to face the kid in a couple of weeks and you're able to get your hands on that information. Okay. He's not really throwing a whole lot of first pitch strikes. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're being efficient, you're getting outs. but that's a big, big thing to know if you're the hitter and saying, Hey, Not every pitch or the majority of his pitches are not going to be in there for strikes, swinging, or call. I might hold off for the first pitch, especially with runners up. Let me see what he's going to bring, where he's going to bring it, and then approach my at-bat. That, I
0: I mean, and I know as a pitching coach and as a hitting coach on both ends, like I I tell my guys, you know, when the even counts, zero and zero, if you're a pitcher, I, I need a strike. I need you to get in and get ahead, you know, and then if you don't, I need to, like, Win the evens or two out of the first three got to be strikes and you know as as a pitcher you're going to be really efficient that way you're going to do a lot of really good things on the other side listen when as a batter when the even counts like he he wants to get ahead he wants to he doesn't want to get in an an account that is advantageous to you so look to be a little bit more aggressive zero zero one one two two obviously two strikes yeah you got to be aggressive but Um, you know, getting, getting guys to understand that is tough, you know, guys going up there and the amount of times that I've seen guys, and I don't even know if there'd be a stat for this, but guys go up and either earlier in the game or especially early in that bat, you see, or have a called strike that you don't agree with. Oh, that's low and away. There's no shot. I get to, I can hit that. Well, then you watch it twice more for strike two and strike three. Uh, I can't help you, man. Like, you know, it's going to be a strike. You've seen it. And
1: when we get to talking, umping, we can talk about how that plays a factor too. And I mean, you don't want to, especially as that plate guy, you don't want to be saying that every pitch on that low outside corner is there, but if you give it once and you don't give it later in that bat or later in that half inning, you're going to have your reliability come into question at the drop of a hat. Absolutely. Um, it's just a big thing.
0: Now, from the, from the stat standpoint, um, and I mean, I don't even know how how deep into this I really want to get, but there is a big a big push right now. Uh, there's two sides on on this uh, this coin, I guess we'll call it. There's the the older traditionalists, we'll say, who would t- would say that quote unquote nerdball is ruining the game. And there's obviously the new school adapter die. Um, mm-hmm. I'm more on the adapter die side. You know, I. I, I don't know that you'll ever convince me that Derek Jeter wasn't a good defensive shortstop, regardless of what statistic you put in front of me. But I think there's merit to those statistics at the same time, you know. And the, that's do again. Do stats tell a story? Yes. Do they tell the whole story? No. You know. So well, that that, that one perfect, stat. Oh, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say I think the perfect example of that was um, last night with the Angels' no hitter. Well, their 22 uh, year old pitcher, I forget what his name is off the top of my head, but goes and allows a walk in the top half of whatever inning it was. And in the following inning, 90-something mile an hour off the bat to their first baseman who smothers it but can't get a grab on it to shuffle it over to first. Well, they took about five minutes before actually reporting it as an error on that first baseman. So you've got kind of this – if you're the analyst and you're the scorer trying to figure out if it was a true hit or if it was an error by the fielder, you kind of have that second part in the back of your head. And, okay, it's a 22-year-old kid. He's in his, I think, under 15th start in the majors, and he's hitless through six and two-thirds or something like that. Am I – is this close enough to score it as an error to determine that the first baseman, whether – you're talking exit velo, you're talking his inability to get to the ball, whatever you want to call it, was it enough to constitute an error. That kind of goes in with that same piece. And right. I, I read a thing that uh, Joe Madden was saying that, yeah, he's like, oh my gosh, the whole stadium was cheering because they gave an error to the home first baseman, but it kept <laughs> the no-hitter in there. So it's like you've got that funny kind of play there that keeps – a 20 something year old no hitter in he goes on to finish off the game the right way earn the no hitter himself but like if that scored differently if you interpret the data in a different light you don't you're not talking about it you're talking about a one hitter where maybe he finishes and throws the complete game one hitter maybe he gets pulled so he can save the arm like yeah i mean
0: at, at that point you're probably talking i mean Guys going yeah. into the seventh inning is rare in this day and age. So
1: I was going to say, I think he finished with under 110. I think it was 108 or 109 pitches. But right. for, for nine full, that's a lot. you got high school guys that are getting up into the 100s after seven. And I mean, yes, high school versus majors, even right. college versus majors. But still, 100 pitches in a night is not an easy feat. And certainly not something that you want to do all too often.
0: Well, I mean, and it's still early May. I mean, we, we talked about that. There was a guy earlier this year. I top of my head. I, I'm blanking on a name. Had, uh, I believe, a perfect game going through seven or through like into, going into seven. And they pulled him. And after people were like, what are you doing? Like, come on. He had a perfect game. There's only been 24 in the history of the game. Hundreds of years of baseball. There's only been 24 of these. Why are you pulling him? And after the game, he was like, I don't know, man. It's April. And the most I've done bullpen work is five innings. I just went I think- Six. Like,
1: I think you're talking about Clayton Kershaw. I believe yes. it was Clayton Kershaw from the Dodgers. Yeah, that's yes. but, yeah, but that's a perfect example. Like, and as a statistician, you might, I'm not saying that you're going to have the final say on a team or a program like the Dodgers or anybody else, but you might have that stat to actually give to a coach and say, hey, you know, he's only thrown X amount of pitches so far. That's been his max. How much are you going to push him? when he's not or might not be to that level that he really wants to be at this point.
0: Right. You know, and I, and I know a lot of this stuff is especially seeping into the, uh, into the college ranks. I know there's a couple, uh, at least somewhat local schools that they got a guy behind the plate with a gun and they know that you effectively sit, let's say 88 to 90 and you can top at 91, your breaking pitches are at the, in these two ranges. And if you drop out of those ranges for five consecutive pitches, you're out like you, and you could be, you could be carving, but you drop out of those ranges. You're done because those are your effective ranges. And it's like (laughs) talking to former players of mine, guys, you know, other guys that I know in high college rank, like, I mean, especially in D one, it's huge. You know, like, yeah, we have so many stats, so many books on the, like in the benches and stuff like that. Like if you're not doing something, they basically tell you to go home. And then those guys are in communication with the SID department about all of those things that everyone's seeing. And that's the report the coaches get. It's insane. It's incredible.
1: Hey, that's where numbers will get you. If you want to take numbers in that direction.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we've seen it in the pros too. We've seen the guys that, you know, um yes i saw a tweet today it was something to the effect of you know the the top like the the top teams in this stat are currently like two three four five six and 26 and 29 in the league so like does that stat really matter well i mean kind of you know your top two or you know five of your top six are up there with that stat like great but i i don't know it's it's interesting. I love it. I, th- I think it's a, a cool place the game is going. I think there, there does need to be a little reining in on some of it because I do believe there's a place for the eye test, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that like dialing back to the Derek Jeter thing, you know, some of the some of the plays that he made, some of the things that he did, do I think makes people remember him fondly and maybe remember him being better than he maybe was? Sure. Does the fact that he was on the Yankees help? Absolutely. But you know, I I couldn't imagine. You know, the play against the A's where he's nowhere near shortstop, you know, fielding a ball out of, you know, out in foul territory on the first baseline to turn and wheel the ball to home to get a guy at the plate. I don't know anybody else that that's in that spot or makes that play. And that's something that you just know that dude can do and almost no one else can. And there's no right. stat for that. But at the same token, if I'm putting my line out and I have information available to me, I would be stupid not to use it.
1: Yeah, very true. Very true.
0: Now, there is a, this is the interesting one. This is, this is going to break into the, the fun topic. I talked to uh, both Norb and uh, Tom from the Western New York Umpire Association probably about two months ago now, if not a little bit more, uh, and discussing the umpire shortage. And now I'm sitting here talking to a guy who did 100 games in a calendar year in Western New York. Who, we don't have the weather to do that, but uh, my man is a hustler out here as an umpire, so let's talk being the guy in the gear.
1: I mean, it's, you kind of always, everyone always wants to be the, the guy. I mean, when you're a young kid, you always want to be the catcher. You want to put on the stuff. You want to look cool. Well, when you get a little older, it's like, okay, well, maybe the knees don't bend as well. Maybe the, sitting back and actually grabbing strikes from a pitcher that's throwing whatever is not the thing anymore.
0: Taking a foul and, ball in the shoulder that's not protected or the forearm or the bicep. Not, not so much my thing.
1: And I mean, you're, you can still get that depending on where you are. I mean, I've taken my fair share. My favorite, least favorite story to tell was I took 94 last summer square. And the catcher just completely whiffed on it. And he's, he's looking back. He goes, I'm so sorry. And I was like, hey, it happens. I, I get it. And he goes, yeah, but I bet that's the fastest you've seen all year. And I, I I felt bad, but I had to tell him it wasn't. And he goes, <laughs> wait, what? And I was like, yeah, no, I had a high school I throw in 97. And he goes, No. And we can get into the, get into that a little bit later on. But I mean, it's one of those cool things where you're going out and I, I know that Norb and Tom mentioned the same thing, but you're going out and yeah, you're officiating. Yeah, you're making sure that the game is played to the integrity level that everyone expects and everybody wants. But at the same time, it's your own competition. There have been numerous games and I've had three or four this year that I can think of off the top of my head that I finished the game, whether on the bases or on the plate, usually happens more on the plate than the bases. And I said, I had an excellent game. There's only one thing I would have done differently. And then a couple days later I go and I do a different game and I come off the field and I'm damn near throwing my gear about how upset I am with my zone with my game management with the way that I approached players coaches so forth and it's like you it's kind of that aspect of perfectionist and granted nobody's ever going to be perfect and nor do we ever think that a human could possibly be perfect and from those robo-umps I've seen that they can't be perfect either but to To be able to go through and compete against myself day in and day out, that's the whole point of being there, at least in my mind, besides the fact of what I'm doing and being of service to other people that need officials out there. I'm going and I'm saying, okay, I did this yesterday. What can I do today? How can I improve upon myself tomorrow?
0: Yeah. And I think that's something that Every time I have an umpire on here, and you're probably the fourth or fifth guy that I've talked to that's an umpire, um, that is that's a very common thing am, amongst you guys. And do I think there are guys who you know don't have that mentality? Yes, I do. I think there are guys out there who just think I am a great umpire and I am infallible and I don't miss calls. I do believe that there are guys that are like that. Uh, they, I think, they're far more far and few between than people would think, and. You know, hearing the amount of the amount of you guys that like kind of take it personally when you when you like, like, ah, darn it, I missed a call or like ah my zone was really inconsistent. And you you take that personally, you know, I've I've talked to guys who, you know, they'll go back and rewatch the live stream of a game they umpired to see what other people were seeing. And, you know, again, you're watching tape on yourself. You know, you know how the game went. You're not watching to see anything other than how can I be better? How can I do more? And I think that's something that if more people understood you, you may not have the the harsh reactions to umpires that are sometimes had
1: well, and I think the I think that idea that you were talking about of the people that say "I'm untouchable," what I say goes, and it's I don't want to say it's that godlike complex, but that's more of that old school type thing It generally happens when you've been in there for x amount of years and you're past your tenure date. Hey, I'm not going anywhere. They're not going to get rid of me and I can do whatever I want. That newer school approach, which is something that UCU and a lot of the other groups as you progress further up, that's what they're looking for out of you. It's not the fact of, hey, you had a postseason assignment and you did great at it, or you were how many games this year, but How were you in those games? How was your game management? How did you handle situations? How did you handle calls, positioning, so forth? Like being in that spot and being able to go through and say, Hey, I'm going to do this this way, but now I'm going to change it up to make myself even better. The next time I go out is, is the goal. I mean, I had a great season. I had a much, much uh, surprising season, uh, Just my second year of doing collegiate baseball, Um, I had a good handful of junior college games, but the rest were D3 conference games. And it's like when you're pulling up a game at U of R, at Alfred State, um, at RIT, wherever it is in the greater Rochester, Buffalo area, you're seeing good teams and you're seeing teams that can put the bat on the ball and that are performing at some points to nationally recognized statuses. And you're going through and you're saying, okay, well, if they're playing at that level, now I have to umpire at that level. And the thought doesn't change when you change levels. Like, I'm not against, nor do I ever turn down an assignment where I get for high school or rec league. I mean, this coming or this past week, I had a solo JV game. Right. Okay. I don't need to go onto the field and boast, I'm a college umpire. I don't need to be doing this. And this coming weekend, I've got an adult league game that's 25-plus age group. Okay, I'm out there. I'm going to do the job I'm going to do. It's not like I'm going to try and show up, nor should I be trying to show up, the people that I'm officiating there for. I'm doing them a service. Whether they like the service that they get or not, that's kind of up to them. (laughs) But everyone's going to have those critiques. Um, I had a high school game, varsity game that I was on tonight. Uh, The visiting team was the top or currently is the top team in section five for a double A. And the home team is a team that is generally very, very competitive. They've got some really good, talented studs on their team, and they've just been losing tight ball games. Um, Very close, very competitive game throughout. And when I've got close calls, I was on the bases, so I didn't have a whole lot to deal with the zone. But when I've got close calls, I've got players that are asking me, why was it that way? And that's like the key part to it is you don't need to come at me and tell me that I'm wrong. Ask me why, why did I get called out on that? I thought he was off the bag. Well, I'm in the angle, fortunately, to see that, yeah, his foot came off when he stretched up high to get the ball. But his foot reconnected with the bag with possession before your foot made contact with first base. Right. That's why he got called out. I had him off. Okay. That's, that's okay. I said, it's okay that you thought you had him off. I had him this way. I had another one where the kids made a swim move into second base. The tag was right where it should have been, but they didn't anticipate the kid swimming into second. Coach comes out and goes, he swam. And I said, yeah. I said, the throw, the tag was perfect if he went straight into the base. But because he did his little loop around, I said, there was no tag applied. Got his fingers on the bag. He said, Being able to explain that and explain it with rationale that makes sense rather than just going, coach, I'm not hearing it. He's there. He's not. Whatever. I'm able to not only explain and justify my reasoning, but I'm also able to get that respect. Of course, the coach is going to say whether he likes the call or not. All right. That's what you got. Can't change it. Yeah. Our our high schools don't have replay. If they did, (laughs) we would have a whole nother thing going on. but that's the thing you've got and I'm a younger guy I'm 25 I'll be 26 this fall like for me to go out there and umpire men guys that are my age and older and also go out there and umpire teenagers that are younger than me that are could be the age of my students could be the age of cousins nieces nephews like There's no difference. It's just how you approach the game and how you're going to garner that respect and explain it to somebody. The conversations that I have with a collegiate player about a call or the way that something is, is not the same conversation that I'm going to have with a high school kid. Right. Like they're two completely different understandings. I'm sure you ran across it a lot this year with NCAA's new implementation of the 20 second pitch call. Yes. It's a rule that we can go on for hours talking about But I had a kid from St. John Fisher that said, hey, you warned him for the pitch clock. Why am I not getting time in the box? And I said, well, you kind of don't want to ask for it. And I said, I know that it kind of goes against saying this. But I said, now that he's been warned, as long as you're set in the box and the plate umpire doesn't grant you time because that pitch clock is running, if the pitcher violates it after being warned, it's a ball on you. It's only when you delay getting into the box that you have the potential to have strike called on you. We've all seen the NCAA videos and major league videos where they throw the strike on the guy at the worst time. But it's like, he goes, well, I didn't know that. And I said, but that's the thing. It's, do you understand the rules set that you're playing in? Like, yeah, you might really want time, but you know that that pitcher is taking 15 to 17 seconds to come set and decide whether he wants to deliver or make an attempt to pick off and if he goes over that time, it's going to benefit you. Can you imagine if you're sitting at a full count and he goes over that time? You're on oh, first man. base. Yeah. And it's a, it's a hell of a call for an umpire to make, but it's still one that has to be called. And it has to be called with efficacy. You can't have guys that go through and say, hey, I'm not calling it today.
0: <clears throat> and I, I, think same- yeah, I think
1: that's,
0: I think that we, we ran into that a lot where, you know, because uh, what is it, 90 seconds between innings?
1: uh two minutes two minutes so
0: i mean we we had guys who you know we we'd get the 30 second call and other guys it felt like it was five minutes um you know and what what with the 20 second pitch clock we ran into guys like started like they're they're just stepping in the box and like just starting to bring their hands up and the pitchers already got his leg in the air and breaking into throw and like you know you're we argued like, listen, we're told they're not supposed to put their hand up and ask for time to get set. It's supposed to be enforced where you can't throw till he's set, but we're good. Just keep it on a clock and keep it moving. And, you know, then on other ends we had teams that our pitchers were there ready to throw and their kid is out of the box, like, you know, swinging the bat and you know, everything like between every single pitch. And like, you know, I know you're supposed to leave one foot in the box and stuff. And there's a little bit of gray area on on a swing or whatever, I mean, we we saw both ends of it, and it was never addressed, and And that was that was probably the most infuriating part of it.
1: It's got to be one of those things, though, and I mean, there's always going to be the minute rule. I know when I'm on the plate, if that batter steps out, and I know everybody does, especially if it's an inside pitch, if it's up and high, if you if you check your swing, if you you've got a billion different scenarios of why you want to get out in the box, but if that pitcher's got the ball. As soon as he has the ball and you're in proximity of the batter's box and he is in his dirt circle, that pitch clock starts, Right. which means if you're delaying it longer than about five or six seconds, you're delaying the pitcher from getting set, from being ready to deliver. My motion is, hey, you got to get it. Number so-and-so, you got to get it. And I kind of do this little back-and-forth motion. And I only really get to two times where I'm saying it before I really start to pipe up the volume a little bit more and be like, you got to get it in the box. The last thing that I ever want to do is call a strike on a kid because he's taken too long to get in. It's bad enough being the base umpire and having to warn or call a violation for a 22nd clock on the pitcher. I couldn't imagine the frustration or the animosity that I would get from a coach (laughs) if I call a strike because (laughs) the kid's getting signs because the kid's taking a half swing because he just took one that's up and in like, I get it. There's always situations and there's always going to be. But the question is, how do you really tie it together? How do you really make it connect so that it's even on both sides and so that the game's fair? That's all that is trying to happen. And I know the whole you're speeding up the game, you're getting away from baseball. I get that. But at the same time, we're trying to make sure that the game is umpired fairly. right? And when you umpire fairly, that's how you're going to have the best competition. When your game in you have three or four game series. I don't no, I don't remember what the AMCC does for their series. Um, uh, just double headers. Yeah. So I know that a lot of the other conferences do three or four, where it's you got a single nine, then you got a seven, or, nine, or some combination of that. Yeah. If game one is everybody's on that twenty second pitch clock, and everybody's making sure batters are in the box, and you're moving, and then you get to the double header the next day, and you have a crew that isn't umpiring effectively isn't keeping that time management piece into play what happened yesterday why did those guys enforce it and these guys didn't and next week we don't know what we're going to see right that's been like the biggest key thought that we've been talking about since the beginning of the season is everybody's got to be locked in and if you're not umpiring the same way as the guy that's five counties over there's something going incorrectly but again it comes down to that perfectionist piece are you going to do your job the way that you're supposed to the way that makes you your crew and just organization look the best.
0: Well and that's one of the things like I think the one that that bothered me the most was being was getting quick pitched. And you know they're like, well, you, you know, put your hand up and you know the umpire will stop and it's like you're not supposed to have to do that anymore. Like that's part of this like listen, we're speeding up the game, but if this kid's got one foot in the box, he's looking down to get signs and then as he's stepping in and like before his hands are coming up and he's looking at the pitcher, the pitchers wound up and are already almost releasing the ball. That's not supposed to be OK. And we I mean, so we, we fought on a couple with a couple guys about like he's not allowed to do that.
1: Yeah. And there's that it's a it's a term that we kind of call preventative umpiring. And if you think of it in any aspect of the word, I'm trying to make sure that something else that could come down the line doesn't happen. So when I know that that kid's taking signs, I know that they're trying to do something with their runners on or their batter, wherever I know the pitcher wants to pitch. I know the batter wants to hit, but if we don't make that fair, and even if that means me throwing up my hand for two seconds till he gets in and then putting the ball back in play, that extra two seconds isn't going to kill the time. Right. Every time that we have the lapse in time that we now have the discussion about he's doing this, he's doing that, doing the next thing. I mean, hate to talk about it, but even just your example, how many times or how long was that discussion that you had about the quick pitch? Probably a minute, minute and a half right Right. there. That's your transition time between half innings. And it doesn't, it's not the fact that we're trying to shorten games. It's not the fact that we're trying to make the game speed up to an astronomical pace. It's just, we're trying to keep the game moving, especially when you've got a pitcher that's humming and you're going to play a nine. You want to maybe get him for seven you want to keep him in a groove. You don't want to have him sitting on the bench for 25 minutes in a half, half inning that should have taken 15. You don't want to have him kind of get out of his spot. So he has to work harder when he gets back to the mound to get back into. And it goes on both sides, offensive and defensively.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, obviously we're on a learning curve with a lot of the new implementations and new rules and stuff, but, uh, you know, some things that don't change. We kind of touched on it when we were talking uh, stats and stuff. Is the strike zone? Uh, I am, I am, and never will be a proponent for robo umps. I think it's a terrible idea. Uh, I've seen some of the things that robo umps call strikes, and nobody would think that they're actually a strike. Uh, I think that would be just awful for the game. But uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a guy. I try not to argue balls and strikes. Um, I, I want, I argue consistency. Like I, yeah. I don't care if. You call that a strike, but you better call it a strike every time. You know, if, if you're giving the letters, you better give the letters all day. If you're giving the knees, you better give the knees all day. What I don't want is my guy gets rung up at the knees and then his guy gets walked at the thighs. That's Definitely. what bothers me as, as a coach, uh, right? And, and as a player. Um, and I'll tell you this, this year, I know I've heard a lot of not great things from my, my friends in the high school ranks, but I mean, for the most part, we had – some, a lot of good umpiring
1: through the college year. That's good to see and I mean and it's obviously everyone's trying to get to that next step. If you're umpiring or working at any level I mean even just think about playing. high school you want to go and play on the good travel league during the summer. When you graduate high school you want to go play at the good junior college or the good four-year school. When you're at that school you want to go play for the best summer league team if the summer league stuff is the stuff you want to do. You want to always get to that next level. For me personally, it was jumping from high school to college. Right. Now, I never have thought, nor will I ever be able to jump from a collegiate rank to a minor's or a professional. It's just something that isn't in the cards for me. But sure, do I hope that I progress past a Division three umpire? Do I do I want to work some mid major D one, some Canisius's, some NUs? work to something that I can make a little bit more of a name for myself and really kind of continue to up that level of intensity, difficulty, whatever you want to say. It's, it's that kind of personal thing that all of us have in us. It's that challenge. Okay, well, I've quote unquote mastered or I've succeeded in accomplishing this level. What can I do at the next level where the stakes are a little higher? The ball's playing a little faster. You've got something that's more than what you saw before and it's not downgrading any lower levels no but as you progress up obviously your talent level is going to go up everything that you're seeing is going to rise to that next step
0: absolutely and i mean at bare minimum even if you're not able to do it how cool would it be to get a call to be like hey man uh we got some single a some single a work we need a guy like and even if you have to be like listen man like with my full-time job like i can't do it but how cool would that phone call be
1: well, and that's uh, when I was getting on with United. Our uh, evaluator uh, was a guy, I can't think his name, Dave Martinez uh, from Jersey. So Dave was talking to me a little bit about his progress uh, at the time that he was evaluating me. He is was a triple A crew chief. He goes, I was a full time high school math teacher, told them, Hey, I want to go to umpire school. It's an eight week course, I'll take Paid leave until I'm out of my sick days. I'll take unpaid the rest. And please consider giving me my job back if I don't get one of the three or four professional placements out of this school, where I'm going to be one of hundreds. Yeah, okay, works for me. Right, got one of those three or four positions. Advanced through the ranks. Uh, I would assume in the next year or two, he'll probably be one of the call-up umpires into the majors, and hopefully get a stint as a major league umpire. But we've got local guys like that ourselves. I mean western new york everybody knows the name don buzz goller like that's a guy that's been to AAA. he's been yeah. right on the doorstep and even still i work with him all the time during the summer season and i think i opened up my summer season with him last year after he had finished up a regional game down at mississippi state i'm like that's fantastic for you to even mention a big name school like right. that with <laughs> such a storied baseball program that's outstanding just to be there but to be okay, I'm working this level at this point. And he's still coming and doing those games locally. He's doing the NYCBLs. He's doing the Muni Triple A's. He's doing the games because dude, that's I, what he loves to do.
0: He even does game. Muni double A. I mean, I've seen Buzz on the field more the last couple of years than I had, you know, in through the high school season and stuff. And obviously he's doing those bigger college games during the high school season. But I mean, for the dude to even just come back and be like, it 25 and up, Muni double A, sure, I'll do it. Like, I got a night. I got an off night. Let's go. Like, that's awesome.
1: It goes to show the integrity and it also goes to show the type of people that a lot of our umpires are. It's yeah, the money's nice when the money's coming in. Oh, it's great. But at the same time, if I want to go out and umpire baseball, it's because I want to go umpire baseball. If I didn't want to be doing it, and I think our retention rate, there's some sort of national statistic that the officials retention rate for high school sports is five years. After five years, you are going to decide whether you're going to be someone that does it for 30 or you're going to be done. I can tell you that the group that I came in with, it's 2016 with Western New York. I think we had a new umpire class of 12 guys. There were four at the start of the 2017 season that were remaining. Wow. But, and it's it's not a statistic that's putting down them but it's just the fact that not everybody is cut out for it. You've got to have thick skin. You've got to be able to take every sort of comment and have your own personal line in the sand that's saying, you know what, I'm going to take up to here. And you can tell me whatever you want, as long as it's directed to the game up till here. And when you reach that spot, that's when I'm going to say, okay, now we've had our fun. You've got your say. You got to stop. You got to let us keep going with what's going to happen. Right.
0: You know, and that's one of the things, I mean, it's, it's progressively gotten worse in this day and age. Um, I mean, I know when I, when I was growing up, I mean, you didn't even talk to an umpire as a player, you know, that was the coaches did it. Like that was, and when I, like when I was coaching in the summer, that was my thing. Like, listen, you don't speak to them unless it's yes, sir. No, sir. I mean, I'm still even big on like, dude, don't toss the ball to the umpire, go hand it to him. Like it's a respect thing. You know, you just put the ball in his hand, in his mask, whatever he's choosing to do, but don't go here and flip it at him. Like that's, that's the era I grew up in now. I mean, kids talk to the umpires, parents talk to the umpires, coaches talk to you and it's relentless at times. I mean, I not, not so uh, ceremoniously was part of a game where it was one of the last, it was the last high school game. They very, very good umpire did. He finished out that summer and then retired from umpiring because of, because of the result of that game where he got chased off the field and almost assaulted in the parking lot by the parents of the losing team. It was bad.
1: That's the sad, sad realization of it is and especially at an age group level. And you don't want to target high school and travel ball, but when parents families are putting thousands of dollars into equipment, into teams, into Mm -hmm. travel expenses, everything, And they're upset because of the result of the game. A lot of times, yeah, you can put it on your kid, but it's a whole lot easier to say, you know what, I I think this, this, and that could have gone differently. And that's not on me. That's not on the coach. It's not on my kid. It's on the gentlemen or the women that are making that call. And it's a really, really tough thing to accept because I know that there are games that I've done that my impact has changed the result of the game. But there's nobody that hates that feeling more than me. And trust me, I've had my ass chewed out more times than I can count. My number of ejections is low because if I know I messed up, I'll take it to right. that right. line. But that's the point. You've got you've to own up to it. It's kind of that age old saying, I remember my dad telling me when I was a kid, you got to take your lumps. You do something bad, you got to take it. You got to accept it quote unquote man up and let and let what's gonna happen happen. Right. You
0: know, and I I i think pretty sure I told the story a few times on the show. Like the two like I've as a player I got tossed twice. One time I should have and didn't and the other time I shouldn't have and did so it evened out, which yeah. is just the nature of the game. But uh I mean I it it's been tough, man. Like there there have been a few times as a coach that I've wanted to just blow my stack and you know you can't because especially, you know, when you're talking high school and college, um, I would never dream of getting injected. And especially now in college, especially now. I mean, that that's grounds for you're done. Like, if you get tossed, yeah. you may as well just turn in your stuff. And, you know, but uh, I mean, it's I've seen some of like some of the the things I've seen, you know, and, and like I, I have some very good friends of mine umpire. And, you know, uh, I, I know, you know, who Eric Saladin is. Yeah. Uh, Eric did a game of ours a couple of weeks ago. And there were, there was a close call that I thought should have went our way that didn't. And then there was a pretty blatant one that he flat out missed. And normally like when there's a tight one in a game that he does that I'm either playing or coaching in, you know, after the game, I'll text him and we'll kind of bust each other's chops and stuff. And, you know, like, Oh, Hey man, uh, do you, uh, do you see that right? The right way yet? Or is it still, he's still going to blow that call again. And he's like, you're going to make that coaching decision. You're going to make that throw again, dummy. Like we'd kind of go back and forth and, uh, the one I I didn't text them for like three days because I'm like, I was just, I was so mad about it. And it, it ended up us not getting that out, which would have ended the inning. Yeah. They, we, we gave up four runs after the fact. So it was one of those like, Oh, like backbreaker calls. And, right. um, you know, but like in the moment, like you, you say, I, we said very little at the time, like, come on, he had him that you got to make that call. And when we finally talked about it, it's like, Hey, listen, man, like, I was a little out of position for it, and here's the reason why, but I was out of position, and if you say I missed it, I missed it, and like having that conversation, you know, I I would never go and get in his face, you know, I mean, he could make the most egregiously bad call on the planet, I've also watched this man walk off the field with his his kids while a high schooler screamed at him and threatened him, and it's like his his eight-year-old son is walking at his side, and this kid's blowing his top at him, and I'm like, what are we doing?
1: Yeah. Like and I what? mean, for the longest time, I mean, when I was living back in Buffalo and still doing uh, uni games and everything else, I would ask my girlfriend, my now wife, Hey, you want to come to the game We're, let's we'll go out for food afterwards. I just have a double. It's only five hours of baseball. You'll be okay. Um, and she goes, there's nothing like, it's not like I can even sit with one team or another. I can't sit with one team or like, everybody hates you. I can't cheer for you. Hey, way to go. Like Nobody likes you. Why do I want to go and sit and watch you berated? And it's like, you know, not every game's like that, but you're right. Uh, I did a summer league game uh, at Batavia at Dwyer stadium last year. And my wife and my father-in-law came and sat behind a uh, plate as I was on the plate game. And I, I look back and like the first inning and they're there cheersing me with their beers and I'm like, okay, come on. But like, it's, it's that comical and there's that fun piece where I'm like, okay, well, yeah, you know what? I am having fun. And I might have some people that aren't my biggest fan at the end of the day, but it is what it's it's going to be. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get my 110% and I'm going to do exactly what I can to make the game as fair and consistent through the rest.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and I think at the end of the day, we all say that, like that's, that's all we can ask for. Um, I know I've lost my cool a time or two on an umpire, you know, especially more in my younger days, but, um, you know, I, we, we all say that that's what we want. And I know we could all as coaches, especially, and even more so now as young players coming up could be far better about that. Um, you know, and I think, I think the openness in the relationship, I mean, I, I remember, like I said, when I was growing up, I, the only time I ever knew an umpire is if it was a guy, cause I umpired little league when I was younger. You know, like everybody does when you're 13, you start umpiring the 10-year-olds. And you know, the guy who was my umpire coordinator back then was also umpiring the games I was playing in. But uh you know, that was really the only time I knew an umpire. Now I know I feel like every time I'm on a field I know the umpires. And um, you know, met like I played on Monday night and uh, there was a, a scheduling snafu with a guy who got sick and stuff like that. So one of the guys came late and it was actually Tom and I walked up, I'm like, what are you just on your own clock these days? And he, he, he started busting out laughing. He's like, Hey, Jazz, nice to see you. Like, like, Oh yeah, it's the third inning. We've been playing for a while. I should have been here at the start. It was a fun game, <laughs> like just joking around. But I, I think that helps. Like, I think building a relationship with, with umpires as a coach and as a player is only going to help things, you know, cause you, when you start seeing people as the person and not just the position, it, it definitely helps.
1: Yeah. Very true. Very true. And I mean, even at this point, like last year was my first year doing high school ball on Rochester. I was with Western New York for five. I uh, was with Chautauqua County when I was going to school down in Fredonia, which was a great gig. It's a smaller organization could pick up more games. Got to see some really excellent players come out of the Southern Tier area. Um, but going to Rochester, okay, well, yeah, my name might have some bit of weight in Buffalo if somebody sees me on their schedule. But in Rochester, it's not anything. I got to go and I got to show what I've got. I had a coach uh, from a team that was my first time seeing them. Introduced myself at the plate meeting. Didn't really go a whole lot from there. I think the second or third inning, he comes up to me, he goes, you are not a first year umpire. I said, no, sir, I'm not. And he goes, where did you come from? And why are you now in Rochester? <laughs> and I'm like, this is not any bit of a bad thing, but he's like, you you don't see new faces a whole lot. And when you do, they certainly aren't to a caliper that you've seen when you got, got a guy that's been umpiring for five or six years. Right. I said, yeah, no, I get that completely. And they said, I worked out in here for so long and now I'm doing this and that and the next thing. And I had him later on in the season in a sectional quarterfinal. And he goes, I'm so happy. I see you behind the plate." And I said, but that, that carries weight. It right. makes me feel good, but it also means that the teams that I'm seeing for the first couple times ever, are realizing that what I'm doing, I'm doing well, whether it goes their way or not. But they're happy to see a face that they know is going to be as consistent and is going to work his ass off as much as he can to make sure that everything is the way that it's supposed to be. And that's all you can really ask for, I feel like, as a coach and as a player. You got it. Umpires are going to do what they're going to do, and you can only affect what you can affect.
0: All right. So. We've done the the talk in the telling stories part, which is uh, basically what this podcast is. Um, if you were to say somebody were to come to you, kid just graduated high school, going to college, not playing ball and looking to make some money in the summer, wants to be wants to become an umpire. What advice would you give them and where would you tell them to look to start to this trip?
1: So I think the the big thing is where where do you want to end up with it? So if you're looking for some quick cash, if you're looking for, hey, I'm free these evenings, I'm free most weekends, I just want cash. I, I, I want this to be a summer only thing. Your best bet is probably one of those little league organizations. And I'm the one that comes to mind because I lived in East Amherst for a year and a half is Lou Gehrig. You think of that complex and you think of how many fields they have and how many levels of ball they do. If you can get in and be a local Lou Gehrig ump, you're going to make a good chunk of change just from doing nights, local leagues, and weekend tournaments where they don't have enough umpires from a group like Western New York to cover games. Right, That's going to be a perfect spot for you to go and make a couple hundred bucks in a month and call it good. You want to take that next step up. You know, Hey, I really liked high school ball. I know they're short on officials. My, my job's like seven to three, eight to four, I could make some nights work. You wanna reach out to your local chapter. You can easily go online and Google New York State Baseball Umpire Associations and you'll see every association, every chapter, all the sections in the state. Super easy way. It's the best way that I was able to find when I moved from Buffalo to Rochester was I said, okay, this is the organization right where I'm living and this is the one I should reach out to. two emails later and a short little note from our president at you or western new york and i was set and i didn't have to go through the provisional stages of that organization's chapter just to go through and be like hey yeah we know you can umpire here's your note you're already new york state certified you already take the test you're good to go move on that's the kind of base platform if you want to do baseball you're going to do your high school and their high school is going to set you up to do the other summer, it's your age groups, your, your 17Us, your 15Us, your adult leagues. Once you get to that point, And I mean, like I said, I umpired for five years before I even considered going and having myself evaluated because I, everyone looks at, you. everyone knows who you are and knows what you're doing, especially when you're in an area that you're used to. My first evaluation for UCU, I drove down to Jersey. I had seven and a half hours in a car because I didn't want to have anybody that I knew look at me. Right. And I know that sounds bad, but if you really want somebody to be honest with your feedback, that's what you're going to get. Drove down there. I had a fairly decent weekend. I could have done better on the bases. I had excellent couple games on the plate. And they said, hey, there's also going to be another evaluation in court. You should go there. Sweet. Go there, get some more looks. That winter, I got the call that I was going to get picked up um, and be on staff with UCU. Awesome. That that next step up is just like we were talking about before. It's the levels that you want to work towards. I could be certainly fine with doing high school ball. Mm -hmm. Teach during the day, drive 30 minutes to a school, work for two hours, call it good, get most of my weekends off. But I want that extra challenge. So then I'm gonna take that step up. I'm gonna advertise myself a little bit more and really push myself to be the best guy that I can for the job.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, and that's I mean, that's pretty much the same uh same spiel I got from not uh Norbin Tom, from Joel Mars, from uh Justin Barlowman, like all the guys I've had on this pretty much pretty much the uh the spiel there. So uh, I like reiterating it because you know you never know which episode people are going to tune in tune into, and if they sure. are interested, I like having the info yeah. out there. Um, oh,
1: I appreciate
0: it. Little uh, player trivia for you. We talked right, about it. Go. I told you I was going to quiz you, <laughs> so hopefully I don't stump you on this one. This conversation came up. Um, it was a combination of a play that happened in a game that I was coaching, then a conversation I had with a coworker at my full-time job. Uh, the play was check swing on what would have been a third strike. The nothing was really said. So our catcher like kind of tried to block it, kicked off to the side. The batter took off. Catcher picked it up threw the ball, hit the runner in the back. They called runner interference. Like it, it was this whole mess. And at the end of the day, they came back and said, we have no swing ball three. So the whole play was pretty much done. And, we were like, well, what the, like, we, we heard the base umpire say, I have a swing. The umpire at the plate said, I have a swing, like in a conversation with like just over, we overheard. And at the end of the day, they're like, no swing. And we're like, okay, can you check if there was a swing? And he's like, we already talked about it, but sure. Did he go? No. Okay. And then I was explaining that to a coworker. And he's like, why is it that if you check swing and the umpire calls it a ball and doesn't call the swing. You can say, can you ask for help? And the other umpire can either say, no, he didn't, or yes, he did. But if the plate umpire calls a swing, the batter can't be like, no, I didn't. Can you check?
1: So I'm going to give you kind of two different analogies. I'll give you the baseball analogy, and then I'll give you the, the typical. It's actually the one that I give my students a whole lot in class. <laughs> okay, Baseball analogy. I hit a shot down the right field line. First base umpire turns. He's right on the line. He's either going to do one of two things. He's going to point fair and not say a thing. Or he's going to raise his hands and say foul. Right. Now, it happened in a major league game a couple of weeks back. Ball was fair by a foul foot. The umpire fouled does it stop everything? Absolutely. You point fair ball, we're still playing. Regardless of where the ball falls, if any official calls the ball, calls foul, calls time, play stops instantaneously. Okay. The second analogy, the one I use the most in the classroom is you can't unring a bell. If I ring somebody up on a strike, I've already said I think he did enough to get a strike. I've rung my bell. You've heard the noise. Everybody knows that it's there. I can't take back that bell. I can't go to my partner who's 90 feet away and say, hey, did you also think he's going to go? He already heard the bell too. So he goes, yeah, absolutely. I heard it. I know that he's going. Obviously, you're not hearing a swing. Right. But the other side is, you know, maybe I do have that bell in my hand. That's, uh, it's close. Let's check. Now my partner down the line, should he have the ankle? Should he be paying attention to the play? Could say, yes, that was there. I don't know why you didn't ring the bell. I'm going to ring it for you. Okay. Or he could say it's close, but it's not all the way there. And I mean, there's, there's numerous different spots that you can be in the perfect position for it. And I mean, three-man umpiring, um, you see it the most at upper level sectionals, at collegiate conferences, where you've got a guy on both foul lines. If there's nobody on, you get the view for the right-handed batter, you get the view for the left-handed batter. It's perfect. In most umpiring situations, college, high school, summer league, once that umpire is in his C position, the position that's in front of the shortstop, if you will, yeah, it's next to impossible to see both where. And you hate to say the old timey thing: did he break his wrists? Right? Did he go around the front edge of the plate? My biggest thing when I'm making that check swing call, or especially. The more recent one that everybody does is the bunt attempt that they put put out and then pull back at the last second. Did you make an actual attempt to strike at the ball, Bunting, right. swinging whatever? If you made an attempt to strike at the ball, it's a swing. It's a bunt attempt. You're getting the strike rung up. If you checked and you checked and held enough where you convinced me, convinced my partner, hey. No, I thought about it and I held back. You're not going to get that call. It's I think the ringing of the bell is the best analogy you can use for it because just like anything, if you hear that foul ball or you hear time, everything stops. Right. Not all the time should it, but everything stops.
0: Right. You you if you call it fair, you can always go back and be like I had it foul. No, it was foul.
1: Now, but you can't go the other way around.
0: Right. You can't restart play from the point of the ball hitting the ground and people in full speed, so on and so forth. Uh, so I guess that like, and I and we didn't talk about this, so I apologize. Uh, why is it then you can appeal, like if you're the base umpire and you ring me out at first and I say, you know, Bluey pulled his foot. Can you check? Why can that be changed?
1: So I think the biggest thing you're talking about there is angle. Okay. So, For the most part, depending on the mechanics that you were taught or the positioning that you were in, when you're in that A position at first base and you're trying to umpire to see three things, the ball entering the mitt, because the ball doesn't have to be fully into the mitt. The ball has to be entering the mitt and to be in a possession of the ball. It doesn't have to hit the back of the glove to be possessed. Okay. Okay. You have to also see the fielder's foot attached to the base. And you're also watching for that batter runner's foot in contact. And it happens like that. Like we all know. Oh yeah. If I'm on an angle to see that incoming play, I might see that he's stretching, but from my front side of his cleat angle, I'm only seeing the front of it. I'm not seeing if there's space between that bag, whether it be an inch or whether it be a couple, Now, a couple hopefully I could see, but if he's stretched just an inch off, maybe he lifted that back heel up to really reach for the ball. I don't see that. I bang him out. If my partner's in his proper position because of the play circumstance we're talking about, he's likely halfway up that line and has his eye only fixated on runner's lane interference and that fielder's foot. Can I clearly see that fielder's foot came off? So a lot of the times, if you're asking, hey, you got to check with your partner, you got to check with your partner. The plate umpire only really has one thing to tell you. Was his foot on the base or was his foot not? If his foot's on, you stay with the call you've got. If his foot's not, obviously, it might be able to change things around a little bit.
0: Right. I appreciate the uh, yeah. clarity on that because, uh, like I said, I, I, that was pretty much like the you can't unring the bell thing. Was yep. pretty much my uh, my explanation to my coworker, and you know that you it, it, I I was far more complicated in my explanation than that. So, I, but that's the teacher in you versus the uh, guy talking to a in the middle of the night to somebody about it. But
1: and I mean, if I if I if I got it wrong or something, now I mean, this is always the thing that you you talk about. You have a situation, and now it makes me want to go and say, okay, well, did I get that correct? I had, right. a, I had a funny play, and you'll, since we're talking funny plays, in that solo JV game that I was talking about, fielders are, or players are young, players aren't really understanding all the rules. We have a drop third strike. Well, batter doesn't realize with a drop third strike and nobody on first, he has to run to first base or could run to first base to potentially be there. Right. Catcher, incidentally, kicks the ball into fair territory. No, he had no reason to do it. It wasn't purposeful. It just happened to roll off his body. And as he went up to pick it up, kicked it into fair territory. Well, with the dugout yelling and third base coach yelling, the batter starts running to first base with the drop third. The catcher is in the process in fair territory of fielding the ball. The batter quite literally runs directly into the catcher. They both kind of stand up and look at each other. The batter runner keeps going, catcher fields the ball, throws to first base. It's obstruction. The catcher obstructed the batter runner's path to first base. Well, why is it not interference on the batter? Well, he's got to have a path. Just like you want a path to field the ball, he wants a path to the base. And as dumb as the explanation was that I gave to their coach and their catcher, I said, you kind of have to let him go through before you can pick up the ball. Because even as a fielder, as a middle infielder, if you've got a guy taken off to second and you have an infield ground ball coming to you, if you attack that ball and you step into or in front of that runner who's attempting to go to second, it's obstruction on you, that runner gets that base. Hmm. You're You're not letting that play continue out to what it would naturally be had you not interfered or obstructed that typical path, and gotcha. it's it's wording and it's
0: the semantics it's and all the fun stuff.
1: And and think about it, you got to make that decision in a split second. And I mean, I saw it, and I'm thinking in my head, I was like, "There's no way that's interference. It's got to be obstruction." So I point, I call it. He's out at for out at first base, but because of the obstruction, he's actually safe at first base. Now I explain and we're like, okay, well, we still got to talk about it. And I said, I'm going to call at the end of the game. I'm going to call our rules interpreter. I'm going to look it up myself because I want to make sure that I made the correct call. Right. I know that I did by looking in the book, talking with a couple other guys, but it's a funny thing that you you never really know what's going to happen until you have it. You give the best interpretation of the rule that you can. Hopefully it's the correct one. And then if you thought that it was incorrect, you go and you double check your answer at the end if you got it right, fantastic. Now you know for next time. If you didn't, fantastic. Now you know for next time.
0: Absolutely. So um, we're hitting the right around the hour mark here, if not a little bit longer. So uh, this is about the time where I like to kind of wrap up. And I just just by the flow of this, we have to do this again, because I'm pretty sure there were two or three other things we were going to talk about that we didn't quite get to.
1: That's perfectly fine. Perfect. So fine.
0: Uh this is this is the point of the show where I give it it give it to you it is your time to shout outs uh copious plugs whatever it may be thank you shout outs to you know the wife and kids whoever it may be this is your time go
1: Uh I think the first one obviously goes to you I mean we've we both have been talking about this I think for over a month and a half probably pushing 2 months at this point pretty and close with, yeah with with the scheduling that we we all have and I mean you work a full time job. Plus, you've got the coaching, you got everything else going on the side and mixing in an official schedule where most nights and weekends I'm barely home. Um, glad that we were able to finally get it done. Um, love seeing what you're doing to highlight high school baseball. I mean, it's an outstanding thing that we need more of. Rochester has the primetime 585 on Twitter. That's an absolutely outstanding group. Um, that really sets up and highlights the successes that student athletes are having and you're doing that same exact thing in Buffalo for baseball players and that's exactly what you want as a high schooler you want that exposure you want that quote-unquote clout from Twitter so that you can make yourself feel a whole lot better especially if you have a great game or even if you don't have the best one and so you can get recognized and hopefully get to that next level Um, Second and last shameless plug is officiating. We're always short. I can't tell you how many emails a week I get from NFHS saying, Do you want to be an umpire? Do you want to be a ref? Do you want to be an official? Sign up. It's the best thing that you can do if you want to stay involved in any sport. And that's the big key. I coach another sport, I coach varsity swimming and diving for girls and boys. It takes my fall, it takes my winter. Come spring, I wanna be baseball. When it's time for me to give up that coaching side, without a second thought, I'm gonna switch to officiating that other sport that I love because you can give back as much as you want as a coach and you're going to change and impact students' lives and athletes' lives for years to come. But think about what more you can do as an official, what more you can do when you have this new lens and when you're actually able to get people to still play, how many games have we seen online or talked about in the last several years that have been canceled because of a shortage of officials? Where you've got one man JVs or one man modifieds or mod Bs being canceled because you don't have guys,
0: or it's, it's being done by dads.
1: It's sad because we're getting to that point where we devalue the impact that having somebody, a third impartial party out there to decide how the game should be run. And if you don't have that fact, it's less of a game. You're still playing, you're still having fun, but you're not at that same point as the team down the road that has two umpires that are making sure that the game's going off exactly as you can. The best people that can stay involved and do what they want is the people that actually throw their hat into the ring. I know you always see the signs you don't like what the umpires are doing, do it yourself. Guess what? If you don't do it yourself, we're going to eventually get to that point where that old guard of umpires, the old guard of officials that are getting up there in age and making it themselves harder to move around and be in the best scenario that they can, you're going to start losing contests. You're going to start losing officials you're going to start losing the impact that sports have on teenagers lives
0: absolutely and uh, i agree with that wholeheartedly and i you know i've, I've had a couple of people uh kind of push me you know come on man you gotta you gotta get out there gotta start umpiring gotta get out there gotta start umpiring and uh you know I'm, I'm still looking to hopefully get back into the summer ranks of coaching but um you know who knows if that doesn't work out obviously you know the extra money's nice and being spending my summer on a ball diamond, something I've always loved doing. So it may it be in my future. <laughs> a nice farmer's tan, right?
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: <laughs> but uh, Ben, thank you so much for joining me this week. I, I I loved having you on the show, and I could talk baseball with people for hours and hours and hours on end. Uh, unfortunately, try to keep the podcasts around the hour, just because that's about when you know how much time people have to tune in. So. Uh, thanks for joining me tip of the cap podcast part of the BICBP radio network www.bicbp-radio.com you can find me on facebook tip of the cap podcast or at tip of the cap pod on twitter like follow share subscribe do all the cool things uh i've been posting the weekly high school standings for every division and picking a weekly player or players of the week uh, usually if it's two players they're from the same team who have overly contributed to their team success. If you want to nominate somebody, just shoot me a, a, uh, a direct message on either platform, or if you have my number directly, shoot me that. I believe it's listed below in the summary of the episode. To nominate somebody, give me their name, who they play for, and their stats for the week, and I would love to, to, to keep promoting the guys locally here in Western New York. Uh, again, Ben, thank you so much for joining me. It was a blast talking to you.
1: Thanks a bunch, Jazz. Hopefully, we get to do it again sometime soon.
0: Absolutely. Whenever uh, whenever you're ready, whenever you got time, I'm down. Wonderful. All right. And with that being said, guys, we'll catch you guys next time. In a post-apocalyptic world decimated by a global pandemic, two men will arise to talk about movies featuring the quote king, Austin Kelm, the wizard of Jaws, Derek Jaws. They are
1: the Podducers.